Okay, good evening, everyone. It is time to get started uh, with our study of 1 Peter. So, uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, we are going to, we're just going to go so fast through one verse tonight. So, uh, we're going we're gonna to take our time with one, one verse tonight. Um, a key verse in, in the front part of the, the letter that Peter has uh, written and for believers at that time and obviously us as well. So let's pray and then, uh, then we'll get rolling. Lord, I thank you for the uh, opportunity to meet together tonight as believers and to open your word and to uh, just study, to, to ask questions if necessary, to to really grow in understanding of, of what it means to uh, be disciplined in the new birth and, and what, what really takes place according to what Peter says here. So Lord, give us, give us wisdom and discernment as we uh, walk through this tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Already? My question is, now this is being recorded, right? Yes, it's being, it's being recorded audio, not... I, mean, I know that, yeah. but, uh, but I know that when people take questions from an audience, usually they can't hear what the question is. So if someone were to ask a question, you might want to repeat so your audio will pick it up. I may not want to, depending oh, on what the question is. No. Okay. Yeah, no, but uh, usually uh, it actually does a pretty good job picking it up. So we're, we're good. But thanks, though. Um, By the way, this is my favorite time. It's question time. Okay. Okay. Or statement time. Um, okay. Um, 1 Peter 1, 13. We'll read it in a moment. I found a really interesting article this week um, in a uh, in a dissertation done uh, from a person from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and um, it was a dissertation that was done on the degrees of persecution and what the persecution uh, to Christians, actually, there's there's a pretty common progression uh, to those uh, degrees of persecution, and so there's 17 of them. And I'm just going to read it without any um, editorial comments from myself, because I think I'll do the editorial comment now. I think as I read this, you're going to go, uh, oh yeah. I, I can I can see how this plays out. So this was part of his dissertation on that. So first, disapproval. Second, ridicule. Third, pressure to conform. Fourth, loss of educational opportunities. Fifth, economic sanctions. Six, shunning. Seven, alienation from community. Eight, loss of employment. Nine, loss of property. Ten, physical abuse. Eleven, mob violence. 
12, harassment by officials. 13, kidnapping. 14, forced labor. 15, imprisonment. 16, physical torture. And then 17, execution or murder. And that uh, was uh, a lot of research done with just uh, persecution around the world in general and how it kind of flows over time. And there's a lot of things on this list that specifically mention the kind of suffering that many people in our culture are starting to really feel and experience uh, here, here where we live, uh, around, not just around the world, but where we live. And as Christians, we, we have to understand that we're likely to encounter these. Uh, we're going to encounter them from people that oppose God. And the kind of banishment is uh, really what we see with those 17. That's, we share that with the people that, that Peter is, is speaking to in that time frame. And then, of course, us as well. Uh, the main difference between us and the first century Christians is that at that point, they were probably already experiencing all 17 um, with, uh, with the Christians at that time that Peter is talking to. Um, where we're at specifically, we've, we're, we're kind of, you know, halfway through the list. But that's where it all, what, what this guy was saying, that's where it always goes. It always goes that way. Uh, when, uh, with the progression. Um, yeah, Ron. So, so with the progression, there was one point in the progression where it talked about mob rule, and then what was the point after that? Uh, then, then it was the official uh, harassment, which would be I, the mob think, the mob of the... I think it should be reversed because usually the officials screw them all yeah, well, I think that would necessarily be the case here. But once again, this is not just, uh, you know, this is this is research done uh, worldwide. So you got to remember that mob rule is uh, pretty common um, in, in many places before the officials get involved uh, with it. Um, so um, the passage of scripture here tonight helps us see a view of how to live um, really through this whole process, through this process of persecution and the varying forms of it. There's the, and the truth is, and one of the reasons we, we chose this letter is there's really not a ton of difference between our time and this time uh, where Peter was writing as far as where we're heading. And where things are going. Um, you know, this was 63, 64 AD in that time frame. And in that day, uh, many of the believers were being persecuted to the point of death. And we already know that happens all over the world already and has, you know, since then. But we're in a culture where you can you can see it at different levels on that progression and on that list. Where do you think we are now? Where do I think? Um, I, I think we're at 12. Which 
that? Which is the harassment by officials. I, I think uh, some of like the loss of property, things like that are, are just about to probably happen uh, for, for some things. I'll give you an example. Um, I think it's very, very possible for churches fairly quickly to lose property. Uh huh. Um, because it doesn't take much for the government to flip a switch on, you know, for example, uh, one of the protections that we have in the United States with, uh, with, for churches with property, it's not really a protection, and that's what people don't understand. We don't pay property tax. We're exempt as a 501c3 organization. I thought we have to pay property tax, but we don't, we're not a profit. No. No, no, it's no property no, tax. No property tax for, for churches. So here's the deal. That's not constitutionally protected. Okay? And they didn't used to have that um, in, in the early 1900s is when that actually came into being. So uh, the progression in the, towards the Western United States and you know the itinerant preachers and the new churches and all that, there was no... Uh, the churches, as far as when they bought property, they were treated just the same as any other entity that bought property. There were no protections that way. So now you're getting into the zone where if, if you're teaching something, you know, we talk about cancel culture now. If you're teaching something that the government doesn't like you to teach, what's one of the biggest things they can do in an affluent area like ours? And flip the switch on the property tax saying if you teach this, which is hate language, even though it's protected, the property tax isn't protected. And so they can flip that. And uh, some of your bigger churches in the area would have tax bills in the hundreds of thousands of dollars immediately. And so that's what? No, well, let's, 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 no, no, no sarcasm right now. Uh, the, the, the point being is you, uh, you lose property. So to go, yeah, go, you, the, can't you can't pay it. And so they take it, you know, they put a lien on it, they take it you, or you sell it, whatever you have to do. The, the idea though, is that, uh, that's already happening in Canada. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Canada doesn't have, uh, the, uh, freedom of speech is in their in their form of a constitution. And so they already have a law as of two years ago that says they can't talk about uh, things like sexual orientation and stuff like that in their services. Uh, it's considered hate speech and you go to jail. And guys are. Uh, pastors are going to jail uh, because they share that. Something that I can say like right now, um, they can't. And... Um, they're, told they they're told, you know, they're told they can't correct. But so I, I, I see us pretty far down the list. And, it, and uh, if, if you watch our culture, you, you, you see how fast things have moved in just really moving away from God's word the last few years. I mean, it's like someone took the rock and pushed it over the ledge and and that's how things work it's a it's a theory called tipping point and uh the the idea that you 
you, you keep working, you keep working, you keep working on some sort of agenda or whatever. And it's, it's, when you finally get enough people to agree with that agenda, woo, it just snowballs on the way down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder how often, you know, do they say that in a normal course of life, you know, but they were all with very great reverence, um, you know, very somber. I understand that I've heard from a preacher this week. He says the Archbishop, that particular Archbishop of Canterbury right now is a true believer. He knows the fellow. And that's why so much of the message brought in the Lord Jesus Christ to well, and also because I think uh, the queen uh, oh, yeah, was sure. was actually, uh, you know, yes. you know, like we we can't say for a fact on anything, but uh, but look how look how the kids are compared to the queen, and and you can see how fast things will change, right? I mean, to prove my point, <laughs> but. Uh, which is sad. You don't want that. But, um, and, and what, what I'm getting at here is this is not about being negative because if actually you look at the last point that it's on your uh, thing, it, it's not a negative that we're ending on. But it's a, it's a be a prepared moment. And um, that's, that's let's, let's zero in on this verse very quickly here and see how far we get in 45 minutes because I, I'm already behind. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, with, uh, with this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first point. A, a disciplined mind, that idea of pulling your thoughts together. So as we have gone through this, Peter really prefaces this instruction, obviously, with the therefore moment that we talk about. So when you get the therefore moment, that means that you've got to look at everything that precedes that as a reminder of where we're at now. Um, it's the exhortation rests on what Peter says prior. And so after the greeting, just a reminder, Peter tells everyone the glory of God, extols the glory of God uh, for God's work in assuring our salvation. Um, the doxology in those verses has uh, at least uh, 11 different assertions, really, of eternal security, of the eternal nature of our salvation. And in light of those statements of hope, Peter reminds us that we can rejoice even in the greatest of difficulties because we know that God delivers on his promises. And no matter what hardships believers in Christ face today, we know that he's faithful to ensure our salvation. And adds, Peter adds the message that it's, it's trustworthy, that it's magnificent, uh, which is what we, we looked at uh, last week. And because of those factors, those assurances that are in those prior um, 
chat, not chapters, but those prior paragraphs, Peter's then saying to that direct audience he's speaking to, and then secondarily all believers in Christ, to, as it says in some of your, uh, some of your versions, if you're out there, uh, it says uh, something that's kind of interesting. Does anyone have a version that says something about girding? Okay, go ahead and read it. Just the beginning, just that Jesus, part. Therefore, having girded your minds for action. Okay, girding your minds for action. Girding your minds for action. Um, so uh, the phrase is a figure of speech uh, because the mind doesn't have loins. <laughs> and we're not going to go too far further down that road. But uh, there's similar verbiage uh, used in the Septuagint of uh, the Greek version, uh, Greek translation of Hebrew scripture in 1 Kings 18. Uh, and it illustrates what Elijah did immediately prior to outrunning Ahab. Okay, and uh, in that culture, the, the loin uh, to protect uh, the, the loins, to gird your loins was the phrase. Uh, the loins would hang down something like a slip today. Uh, along with the robe, and it would make it hard to run. That, that's the technical thing. You, you're, you're not going to run well, real well with the robe down and the, 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 the loins girded uh, not correctly. So just tighten your belts. Well, it's, yeah, it's different than that. It's different than that. Uh, you, had to, to, you had to wrap up or, or tie the loincloth and the rope uh, then uh, so a person could run. All right, so that's the picture that, that's really being zeroed in on here. Um, and Paul actually says the same thing in Ephesians 6. Um, you, know, he, you know, he says uh, to uh, the, the loin, he's girding the loins with truth. Um, in Ephesians 6.14, Peter tells us in um, verse 13 here then to, to gird up the loins of your mind. And that indicates that be prepared for action. To be prepared for action. To get ready for action. Um, and that then sometimes the New American Standard, uh, which is the version I use uh, up front here, uh, every once in a while, you got a translation that doesn't do a really great job on a phrase and uh, prepare your minds for action. It's not a word for word translation by any stretch, uh, but it does communicate pretty well what Peter is implying by using a figure of speech. We're, uh, we're, we're to get our minds ready, to be prepared for action and doing that to, to keep then a sober spirit as we'll we'll talk about in a few minutes. And the way for us to look at this is uh, a good way to look at this, of this being prepared for action, uh, would be to go back into the Old Testament and do a comparison between Abraham and Lot. Okay? Um, in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13, and if you, if you know the story at all, uh, the writer of Hebrews re recasts the story in brief for us in chapter 11. 
uh, starting in verse 8, where he says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place with which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. And, and it goes down um, through that uh, with this idea that Abraham had his eyes of faith on that heavenly city. So he, he had no interest in the world's real estate. He was looking for God's place where God had told him to go. He had prepared his mind. He had prepared for action. But what was Lot doing? He was hanging out. And actually, by hanging out, he was moving closer and closer to the pleasures of Sodom. And Abraham brought blessing to his home. Lot brought judgment. And you see the first part there that really comes down to this. this, What's your outlook? What are you looking for? What are you preparing your mind for? What are you preparing your mind for? Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Another version says it this way. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. And that's preparing your mind. That's girding your mind for the journey of faith that is going to be rough. That's going to be rough. And I think actually I'm going to read a pretty big section of Colossians 3 here because I think putting that into context. So if you want to flip over to Colossians 3, you can. The first part of that chapter gives the context of this setting your mind on things above, preparing your mind. So let's take a look at that. I'm going to get over there. Okay. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, humility gentleness and patience 
Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what Paul's doing there is he's addressing this church that's in the middle of this culture of Colossae that was thoroughly pagan and immoral, uh, which was most of the Roman world. And it's much like our culture today. Um, but what, what Paul's getting at is you cannot take your cues from the world around you. You have to take your cues, your direction from above. So although physically in the world, they're not to believe the same things that the culture around them did. They're not to behave according to the standards of the culture around them. They would be taking their cues then from things below because that's the two lists we have in there, right? We have things below, we have things above. The below culture, if you remember in what we just read there, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, all of the above. The above culture was characterized by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, peace, singing, worship, gratitude. Uh, so how, how do you cultivate that then? Well, it takes an effort. It takes a set your minds. So that's where I'm getting at. It takes a set your minds because we are every second of the day inundated with messages that promote the below. If you, if you listen to the radio, if you listen or overhear conversations at work, if you look at the billboards, if you watch most of the mainstream news, if you look at a lot of the news online, if you, you know, you just... We can keep going. All the different media outlets, all of the different programs, movies, whatever. You're going to constantly be directed to embrace values that are from below. Yeah, Ron. So, so that's why it's important for us to gather every chance we get, whether it's a Bible study or a church, so we can practice all these things and, and engage in them. Think, get them on a, on a mindset, with the right mindset. Yeah, yeah, we're not... We're not called to, to uh, we're not designed to do this thing in, by ourselves. Yes. Um, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church, and the church has got many members. And uh, if you aren't part of a local body of Christ by, by actually being with other believers, uh, you got a problem. Then you have a good chance of falling into stuff that you shouldn't. Correct, correct. And uh, I'll just tell you right now, uh, the strategy of uh, 
social distancing over the last few years plays right into the hands of Satan. It just does. You know, uh, it, that, that, that's just all right there. So we'll, we'll set that aside for a moment. But even if messages aren't overly immoral that are going on, if the perspective excludes God and prioritizes things that, for example, life on earth, just, just different things that are here and our happiness and our fulfillment, the right to be happy, all of the top priority type of things, if that's what we allow in, that's where we drift. That's what Lot did. He set his mind on things below. If we want to be directed from above, we've got to make an effort. You've got to gird up. You've got to set your mind. It does not come naturally because naturally, what do we do? We're born sinners. Okay? Um, Which means that we're not going to set our mind naturally on things above. We're going to set it on things below, which means that we must, as uh, I'll start with what Ron started there. It's not uh, in a specific order, but we, we've got to meet with fellow believers. We've got to meditate, study scripture. We've got to, we've got to, there's a reason it says to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We're, we're to sing to the Lord. Um, we're to read things that turn our hearts towards him. That's the reoccurring theme in scripture, you know, right? Romans 12, two, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, as it says before that. Uh, Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Seek first the kingdom of God, in verse 33. Doesn't say seek also, <laughs> Right? It says seek first. That's setting your mind up there. Um, Paul, uh, when talking with Timothy in chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put, put their hope in God, which provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I, that's a key thought for a few minutes from now. So you follow this, and this is all in the first phrase of, of uh, First Peter here. Uh, you know, we're, we're one phrase into this, and that's why this is so important. Um, the only way that a person can live according to what's above, that means that we're going to be taking directions from somewhere other than our culture. thinking on things above, thinking on what really there's the translation that would be the truths of God's word that guides us in what we should do, but gives us the reasons why we should do it. God's grace, our our position in Christ, the eternal reward that awaits those who are his children. 
So as we believe the truth from above more than the lies from below, we start to act like creatures born from above who have been raised with Christ, seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Not only then should we have this disciplined mind that focus on things above, but we should have then as it gets into the second part of our one verse that we're in today, this sober mind. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. So number two, sober mind. So there's several different places in the New Testament that speaks of being sober-minded. First uh, Peter 4, 7, 5, 8, Titus 2, 2, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, uh, and 2 Timothy 4, 5. Be sober-minded. Paul saying this to Timothy. Be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. So the sober-minded, to be sober, means free from intoxicating influences. So that's the literal translation for us. Free from intoxicating influences. So when we speak of a person who is not drunk with alcohol or high on drugs, we say they're sober. Their mind is not under the control of a dangerous outside force. So being sober-minded means that we do not allow ourselves, and I think this is a key statement, we do not allow ourselves to be captivated by any type of influence that would lead us away from sound judgment in Christ. Not intoxicated, figuratively speaking, um, we're calm under the pressure of this culture that's pounding at us. Other ways that you see it in different translations is keep your head, keep a clear mind, exercise self-control. This is also interesting because one of the qualifications for an elder of a church or uh, elder is that that they and their wives be sober minded. That is, they should live in a reverential awe of their responsibility as representatives for Christ. You know, Peter warns in First Peter four seven the end of all things. This is the ESV. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Those who are sober-minded will be alert to the need to pray and will take the occasion to pray at the opportune times when things are, they they get it. They get, you know what? We need to pray right now. This, you know, we need to pray about this. And more often than not, we see the opposite of sober-mindedness displayed in our culture. Uh, irresponsible choices. Hey, I'm going to drive my car 140 miles an hour down to Panga and see if that's a problem. And we see more and more of that. Just, just you, you sit there and you go, that you're 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 goofball. What are you? The first thing you think is, what are you thinking? 
And that's the exact opposite of the sober-minded that's going here. So you got irresponsible choices, foolish experimentation with uh, alcohol, substances, behaviors, crude joking. Um, You can go down the list. Everything that's below is what will intoxicate you in your mind, you know, so it's not just alcohol. It's a lot of other stuff. It's not just drugs. It's a lot of other things included. In Ephesians 5, um, verses 3 through 4, list behaviors that conflict with being sober-minded. Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. There should be no obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. Um, so you, you have all of that. Um, and, and if someone thinks, well, that's just, man, all, all this is is just, you know, a thrashing on people. Um, Paul goes on to write, you know, for... Uh, of this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Period. The end. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. So this starts sounding like our culture again. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And just wait. Therefore, do not partner with them. Do not partner with them. So being sober-minded does not mean living a sour life, a joyless existence. It's actually the opposite, as we'll look at in a few moments here. Because... If you're sober-minded, which means you're looking above, not looking below, you are continually filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because when you eliminate foolishness, mind-numbing silliness from your life, and you focus on what is real, what is true, what is right, what is eternal, what is inspiring. Jesus even said when he commanded the sleepy disciples, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. So set your minds on what's above. Be sober in spirit. You know, Ephesians 5.18 says, avoid being filled with wine because that leads to debauchery, but rather be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a whole different type of joy. It's, it's joy. It's not the fakeness of the world. And that verse implies that we can only be one, but not both. It's either or. If we pursue Drunkenness, for example, you cannot pursue God at the same time. If, if those substances 
that mess with your mind controls you, you cannot be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Sober-minded people choose to abstain from any practice that leads them into sin. Romans 13, Paul explains the urgency behind those commands to be sober-minded. The night is nearly over. The, The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave decency, decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I think that's an incredible description. Obviously, it's scripture, so it is. <laughs> but it's, a, it's something that we can hold on to. So you may want to write that down, Romans 13, 12 through 14. That is an incredible description of being sober-minded. Let's keep marching. That was Romans 12. Verses, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. So idolatry can come in many forms, not just with, I mean, multiple forms, a lot. Yeah, anything can be an idol. Huh? Anything can be an idol. Okay. Golf. Um, (laughs) What are you hitting around about? I'm just saying, keep your mind set on things above. Have you ever heard of Golf Mahoney? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, hey man, if you're gonna if you're gonna open open up for for uh, admonishment, here we go. No, so you, you have you have uh, the setting your mind on things above. You have you have the sober mindedness, and then he he finishes this this little little section here of the therefore, you know, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when when you focus on what is going to happen as a believer, you become the most optimistic person possible. Because whatever you do to me doesn't stop what God provides what is promised whatever comes my way in the midst of our day-to-day you can't mess with God's promise and that's what we're seeing here you see one of the things that when I was a when I was a senior in high school I got uh, one of the awards at our high school for for uh, senior of the year which I mean now I'm feeling like that but um, but but it was senior of the year award and so there there was a, a girl that got it and a guy that got it and yes I was the senior of the year award and it was presented more specifically just for this purpose um, was presented by the Sunny Slope Optimist Society and I was like who are they? <laughs> Who are they? And I'm not sure I want to go to their meeting because I think it'd be kind of weird. 
Because see, optimists, what we picture there is this, the, the feel the good things will happen in the future if, if you dream correctly for them, if you think only certain types of thoughts. And by nature, most people tend to either, they believe, either be optimists or pessimists, regardless of the relationship uh, with anyone else. Uh, they'll say that people are either glass half full people or half empty. And so optimism has nothing to do with faith in God on that type of level. So it can be a, you know, to them, it's a personality trait. Worldly optimism, and this is the key to this thought, worldly optimism is not based on faith in God. You have a lot of people who are not believers that simply refuse to worry about anything because their motto is, the old motto of don't worry, be happy. And that's their motto. And so they kind of walk around like, oh, I'm mean, cool, party on. And that's, they place their faith in a lot of, and this is the key, they place their faith in lesser gods. Karma, the universe. And may look like it works, for a while, but misplaced worldly optimism has no foundation. Optimistic people can find enjoyment in life in a lot of different things, refuse to worry about things, but just because they appear to be optimistic doesn't mean that they have faith in God or that their faith is, any faith is there. And one of the things I'm concerned about with those of us who are Christians is that we better not put our faith in a lesser God as well because then we're misunderstanding faith. There are many people that stubbornly cling to the belief that they will receive whatever they want simply because they believe in it enough. If I have enough faith, I will receive fill in the blank. And that's a, unfortunately a really common teaching these days in a lot of quote unquote churches. Yeah, it's false optimism once again because it's not based on the sovereign nature of God, but on their own ability to believe hard enough that they can get what they want. And that leads to confusion. It leads to disillusionment with God when all of a sudden they're walking around and go, you know, hey, last time I checked, I, I really believed I was going to be a millionaire and I'm not. Um, one of the worst exports of the quote unquote Christian faith from the United States to Africa is this idea of prosperity gospel and if you have ever visited areas of poverty I mean we can argue you don't have to go anywhere just look around but I mean if you go to you know where I've been to Uganda I've been to a lot of you know some places you just go um, 
I, you teach that there, that's pretty, that's pretty weird. And on top of that, they're some of the strongest Christians I've ever met. And they don't have anything. Which leads us to the idea of what Peter's talking about here in the biblical optimism. Biblical optimism is the result of faith in the character of God. So the Bible refers to this as, as we see there, um, hope. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we hope in God, we put our trust in his sovereign plan above the circumstances that are around us and are, are possibly telling us a different story. See, what? regardless of what may happen in this life, we know that God sees, God cares, and God wipes away every tear from our eyes when we are with him forever. Revelation 21. That confidence gives us the real biblical optimistic outlook even in the difficult circumstances, which is why Peter would insert it here. Biblical optimism does not place an emphasis on earthly events going well. It can accept difficult circumstances because it believes that all things work together for good to those who love God or are called according to his purpose. Godly hope looks beyond what we understand. And we then begin to view. So once again, you're prepared for action. You're sober-minded, which means you're looking at above, not below. And when you're looking at above, you understand this life from God's perspective. And God did design us, everyone, to live with hope. Psalm 43, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. When we choose to trust God for everything... When we choose to look above, as we see in this progression, we can rest in his promises to take care of us the way he sees fit. Thus, we can cast our care upon him. If, if God has this lot for me, I, I just think, you know, we got people in here that are going to a Puritan conference pretty soon. And a lot of those guys died for their faith. A what conference? Uh, it's called a Puritan conference, but don't get hung up on that. <laughs> the idea, though, is that when you read their writings, they're, they're some of the most hopeful things you've ever read in the midst of being in jail. In the, just like Paul who obviously is setting his eyes on things above, not on the jail cell that he's sitting in, which is far worse than ours. 
you know, and then what happens is then when we set our things, our, our, our heart, our mind on things above, we then accept his peace. And I, you know, and once again, Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says it so perfectly, obviously. We accept his peace that then passes all understanding. Because that's when then the world enters back in and says, you're just a complete idiot. How could you be at peace in the midst of this? That's why you need to come join us. But knowing that we have a loving heavenly father who desires to care for us and provide for us, that, that, that should give every child of God a reason for biblical optimism. We should be the most hopeful people on the planet because our hope isn't this planet, right? It's not. The result of a spiritual mindset then is that a believer experiences the grace of God in their life. We experience grace when we see Jesus Christ ultimately but we also experience grace today as we look for him to return, that revelation of Christ. We have been saved by grace and we depend moment by moment on God's grace. Looking for Christ to return then strengthens our faith, gives us hope in our worst days, and imparts to us even then more of God's grace. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible one verse sermon. Conveniently, three points. But it's, it's uh, so important to live out, isn't it? Because going back to how we started, um, we are in trials uh, all of our life, but in our Christian faith specifically now, uh, it's, it's, it's ratcheting up, everyone. Uh, it, it is. And... There's going to be more and more people that you know that have gone to church that stop claiming to be Christians because the fire is burning on their backside and they're not looking above. They're looking below and just trying to have peace for that day that's the peace of the world. And so we've got to be mindful of that. And that is why Peter is sharing with these people and us, guys, you have a living hope. You have a sure salvation. Focus on that in the midst of these trials. Lord, we thank you for this time together tonight. I thank you for everyone here. May we uh, be disciplined in our minds. 
and in that discipline of our minds that are focused on you, that will give us the joy that only comes from you being found in your protection and given grace upon grace because of of, uh, living in you. So Lord, thank you for this powerful teaching from Peter to give us courage and strength in all areas of our life at all times. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thanks, everyone.